but none of those things were a certain hope. My hope in today is that we will uh, be able to see Jesus that way. Another reason to look at the 23rd Psalm, Dave Gobb, a prior pastor of our church, um, when he preached on this sermon, um, pointed out that it's, this psalm will be read at many of our funerals, so we may as well enjoy it now. And that's another good reason to, to look at it. I've got a personal history with um, this psalm. Um, about 15 years ago, uh, I was in a very difficult place in my life. Something had happened that was very hard. And um, Dean Patton, who is an elder in our church, he was a dear friend of mine. Uh, he's moved now to, to Cary. But Dean, Dean is the, was the physician that I would go to when I needed a Christian perspective on medicine. Uh, he was a, an older brother. Um, and I went to him with the, this concern that I had, and Dean took me to the 23rd Psalm, and particularly an understanding of verse 6, which I'll share, you, share with you in a minute. Um, I was about 15 years ago. Maybe five years after that, Dean developed a medical problem. And as he and I talked about that, I took him back to Psalm 23 and the same observation that he had made to me, and he had forgotten what he had told me um, five years before that. Um, so this is a, a psalm that I've been thinking about for a while. It's a psalm I commonly share with patients. It's a psalm I've shared with several of you as you've let me into your life to walk through different seasons of your lives. Uh, so in some ways, this is a psalm that has taken 15 years to prepare um, that I've been thinking about. Um, Romans, Paul writes in Romans, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. This is one of those scriptures that God has used for generations to give his people hope. And so whether you are in a green pasture or whether you're in a dark valley, this is a scripture that can give us hope with that. So with that as an introduction, let me pray, and we will look at the 23rd Psalm. Oh, Heavenly Father and Holy Spirit and Lord Jesus, um, I pray that you would open our eyes to help us see you, Jesus, as our shepherd. I pray that you would help us to see you as good and as lovely and that we might be drawn to you and that indeed we might grow in hope. Not the wish that I might see in my world, but the hope that you provide. So Lord, please do that in our lives and in our hearts and in our minds this morning. That Christ would be made great, we pray. Amen. The 23rd Psalm, uh, written by David. Uh, again, I, I can't imagine there is anyone in this room that has not read this psalm before. But uh, let's look at this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, 
and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to start our examination of the 23rd Psalm with verse 6, the conclusion. Uh, This is a psalm of hope. And then after looking at verse 6, we'll back up and we'll go through the psalm and we'll see how the first five verses teach us of the conclusion that um, is made in verse 6. I don't know Hebrew. Um, I do know how to use Strong's Concordance. Um, I know two Hebrew words, both of which happen to be in verse 6. So we're going to look at those. Verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to focus on three words. The first one is goodness. One author has written that seeing God's greatness is not our greatest need, but rather seeing his goodness. God created us as creatures that are attracted to beauty. We're attracted to beautiful things, and there is nothing more beautiful than Jesus. Um, I've got two illustrations today, both of which, and this might say something about me, both of which are from children's sermon and a children's book. Uh, The children's sermon is one that Charles Spurgeon preached. Um, he wrote, or he preached in, in a, a sermon to children, there is no love so great and so wonderful as that which is in the heart of Christ. He is the one that delights in mercy. He is ready to pity those who are suffering and in sorrowful circumstances, one that delights in the happiness of his creatures. The love and grace that Christ has manifested does not as much exceed that which is in the world as the sun is brighter than a candle. Parents are full of kindness towards their children, but that is no kindness like Jesus Christ's. Spurgeon is making the point that as a parent, I might be kind to my child, I might love my child, I might want to try and be good to my child, but as good as I want to be to my child, that is like a candle compared to the sun of the goodness that God shows to his children. So surely goodness will follow me all the days of my life. That is, that's the first thing. The second thing that will follow us is mercy. Um, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. The Hebrew word here for mercy is the word hesed. It's often translated also loving kindness. It's not merely an emotion of feeling love towards someone, but the, the meaning conveyed here is love that involves action on the behalf of someone in need. It's a love with action. It's love and loyalty that inspires mercy and compassionate behavior towards another person. God's loving kindness, God's mercy to us, always involves action. It's seen most fully in the cross, but it also is seen in his answering of prayers, in his bringing people into our lives. Um, in not giving us what we deserve, but in graciously giving us all things, God's love for us always involves action. And we're going to see that come through as we look at this psalm. And it's part of that, that it's God's, it's God's has said love for us, his mercy in action, that makes God, or makes Jesus good, that makes him lovely. And the third word to look at in that last verse is the word that is translated Follow. Uh, it's the Hebrew word radaf. And this was the word that Dean pointed me to um, 15 years ago and that I was able to point back to him uh, maybe 10 years ago. But that word radaf uh, isn't a passive following. It can be translated pursue or chase after. 
God's mercy and goodness pursues us. It chases after us. It's the same word that was used when um, Lot was kidnapped by uh, captors and taken away, and Abraham pursued and chased after Lot's captors until he could rescue Lot. And then he pursued and chased after those people and um, annihilated them. Uh, it describes uh, armies chasing after someone. That's the purpose with which God follows us. So it's not a passive following. It's a very active pursuit of us. Even when we don't feel it, and even when we um, don't, don't see it, and it doesn't depend on us. That action of God pursuing us has a sure end. That sure end is that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's not a wish, like I might have wished I got into medical school, but no, it is a certain and sure end. It is a hope that we can count on because it depends on his pursuit. So when you look at verse 6, uh, in conclusion, our world is insecure. We have pandemics, we have cancer, we have job loss, we have fear, we have loneliness. But through the endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we can have hope. And Psalm 23 gives us that. It's not because of our strength. It's not because of our following after Jesus. But it's because of God's goodness and mercy that he pursues us with that we can be certain that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So that's the conclusion. That's where we're going. That's where this psalm ends up. How does the 23rd Psalm get there? What do we learn to, how, how does it get there? So let's go through the psalm. The psalm starts with the statement of a fact. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then he goes on to list, in the verses to follow, all the things that he will provide to us because of this fact. The first word, Lord, that's the, when you see it capitalized in Scripture, many of you, probably most of you know this, um, that's the word Yahweh. It's the, 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 the word that when Moses wanted to know the name of God, God said, I am. It's the pre-existent nature of God that is conveyed there. It's, um, the, it, it's, it's he always was. Before there was a creation, God was. God says, I am. So I am is my shepherd. That's a lot different than if I were to say to my child, I am your father and I will shepherd you. That's a lot different than if Dave Osborne, our pastor, might say, I am your pastor, I will shepherd you. Um, that's a lot different than I, if I were to say this to my wife or Debbie to say to me that, that she will help shepherd or walk with me. When the pre-existent God of the universe who existed before there was anything that was says, I am your shepherd, that means something. The second thing is, it starts off, the Lord is my shepherd. He's not our shepherd. He's not Israel's shepherd, although there are other verses in Scripture that speak of, of, of God being the shepherd of Israel. Um, he's not the church's shepherd, although there are other verses in Scripture that speak of God shepherding his church. He is my shepherd. When we're in a time of trial and struggle, I don't really 
It's not as much knowing that he's our shepherd collectively. He is my shepherd individually. This is a personal psalm. And then thirdly, Jesus describes himself here as a shepherd. Um, He's not a distant king, although again, there are other passages of scripture that speak to God as being our king. He's not an impersonal rock of my salvation, although there are other passages of scripture that speak of God being the rock of our salvation. No, he is a shepherd. What is a shepherd? A shepherd is someone who lives with his flock. He goes through life with his flock. He's a guide. He's a physician. He's a protector. And a shepherd cares for very helpless sheep. Um, Sheep are dumb. Um, They are defenseless. Uh, Apparently, I I didn't know this until I read this, if, if a sheep rolls on its back and gets stuck, it dies. It can't get from its back onto its feet without the shepherd coming along and picking it up and setting it right. Sheep, if you put them in a field, they will eat the field bare until there is nothing left of it, and then they will die. They don't have enough sense to move on to the next pasture. They need the shepherd to lead them into the next field, into the next pasture, or they will eat it bare, which, to be honest, is not a whole lot unlike me. I will find something that will give me peace and hope, and I will eat it bare. For me, that might be the practice of medicine. I love being a physician, but I can eat that field bare until it ceases to give me satisfaction. Um, That could be with being a parent. We can find our source of hope in being a parent for a football team or money or our retirement. We can find many fields that we will eat bare. Um, Sheep are like that. And then the shepherd's love for his sheep is not simply emotional. Is filled with action. The sheep, the shepherd has to come and lead the sheep. He has to take the sheep into the next pasture, into the next field. It's a love that's not just, I care for you, but it's a love that's met with action, like that Hased love that we talked about um, at the start. Because the Lord is my shepherd, the preexistent God of the universe is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want because he cares for me. He provides what I truly need. And this is not true for the other things that I look for, for for security, whether they be money or my job or my reputation, my health, my finances, my friends, my family. None of those things will hold up. Um, I shall not want because my shepherd cares for me. When I started looking at this and talking about preaching it, um, one way to look at the sermon is, well, okay, what are the things that I shall not want because he is my shepherd. Um, and I was tempted to speak on that. And we're going we're, we're to touch on those things. But let's look past that to let's look at the shepherd. What are the things that Jesus gives us so that we will not want? Let's look at the shepherd. I was tempted to, sometimes tempted to look at the psalm and look at the gifts. You've heard this phrase before. It's easy to look at the gifts, but not the giver. We want to look at the giver this morning. So there are several things here that David lists that Jesus provides for us. Um, The first one is, Jesus is a shepherd that gives us rest. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Sheep do not rest easily. Things need need to be free of fear and distraction in order to rest. And rest for us is a gift of God. 
think back to the creation, rest is woven into the way that the world is made. God made the world in six days, and then he rested. It's woven into creation. Rest is the fourth commandment. Um, he, he, he not only weaves it into creation, but he commands that we rest. We begin by resting in what Jesus has done for us. You're familiar with um, Matthew 11:28. Come to me, all who are heavy burdened, and I, Jesus, will give you rest. Jesus provides for us a full and complete rest beyond what anything I can find in my reputation and my success and in any of those things that I might choose to uh, look for it in. Ben Irons, who preached last week, talked about the idol of self-achievement. That's an idol that that's only I face and imagine any of, many of us face. There's no rest in an idol of self-achievement. God is a shepherd that gives us rest. He knows that we need it, and he knows that the world does not provide it. The psalm says, he restores my soul. It doesn't say he restores my soul if I need it. Jesus knows that we do, and so he provides it. So first, Jesus provides for us rest. Second, Jesus is a shepherd who guides us. The psalm goes on, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Jesus promises to lead us. We will not be lost. Sheep, if they get out in the countryside, they can't find their way home. They can't even find the next field. They can't find their way home. They need the shepherd to lead them. We also need a shepherd to lead us. And Jesus promises to do that. And it's for his namesake. Our righteousness doesn't rest on what we've done. It rests upon what Jesus has done. And so Jesus is the one who gets the credit for the paths in which he leads us. Thirdly, and perhaps maybe when people think of this psalm, most importantly, um, Jesus is a shepherd who walks through valleys with us. Um, verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The picture here would be in the desert of Palestine of a, a, a valley or a canyon in the desert floor where you would have to walk through that and you were subject to attack from bandits. You'd also be subject to attack from, from flash floods. If, a, if the rains came, and a flash flood would go and wash you away in that valley. It was a dangerous place. The other thing that's, I think, key to note about verse 4, um, the pronoun changes. In the first three verses, um, David uses the word he to describe what's going on. In verse 4, it changes to you. Um, when we are in a time of suffering, it is no longer sufficient for us to merely talk about God. We need to talk to God. And Dave recog or David recognizes this. And the, so the pronoun changes. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. This has now become a prayer. Um, in my practice of medicine, I'll often share this with, with the people I care for, uh, encouraging them not to fear because of the skill of their doctors or not to fear because of our advanced antibiotics or the presence of an intensive care unit and critical care specialists or chemotherapy. But no, they should not fear because the Lord is with them. It's a presence that, provide, that surpasses all the stuff that we might be able to bring into that. And that's true if somebody loses their job if a spouse dies or a child leaves or if we're lonely, the things that meet us there is the fact that the Lord is with us. Um, 
I shall not want in these valleys because you are with me. Going to verse 6, you're pursuing me. You are chasing after me with this chesed love that involves action. And of course, all of us will die someday. No one else can go with you through that valley other than Jesus. Not your spouse, not your mentor, not your pastor. Only Jesus, because he has been through that valley. So that's a good thing to, to remember. So what makes a valley hard? Perhaps think of a hard valley that you have had in your life. What makes it hard? I'd suggest two things. The first one is that in that valley, we doubt that God is good. Uh, we, those deepest valleys are where we question God's goodness. It goes back to the garden. Um, Satan, in tempting Eve, asked the question, did God really say? Did God withhold something? Surely this will not happen to you if you eat the apple. Eve was tempted to question God's goodness. That's true for me when I face a, uh, uh, a trial. There's a children's book um, that I've grown to appreciate called The Moon is Always Round by a man named Jonathan Gibson. Um, the, the, the background of this uh, book is that uh, this, this man's um, son asked him why the moon was not always round when he looked into the sky. Now, if one of my children had asked me that question, launched into an explanation of physics, that the moon is orbiting around the Earth, and the sun is over here, and so sometimes we see a quarter moon, and sometimes we see a full moon, and sometimes we see a half moon, and I would try and explain the waning and rising moon um, in a physics way. Uh, this man, much wiser than me, explained that the moon is always round. It's just that we don't always see it as such but it is always there, and that similarly, God is always good. Sometimes you don't see it, but that God is always good. Shortly after this man's son asked this question of his father, um, his wife was pregnant, um, and they learned that their child was stillborn. And a few days after that, a term went in, and they delivered a stillborn child. And in explaining to their son what happened to his younger sister, who was, who, who was stillborn, went back to this analogy of the moon is always round. God is always good. And it may not seem like, it may not feel like that right now, but that that is true. And then he turned that. So, about this book, we heard this author um, speak at a uh, counseling conference that we went to. Um, and this was, that was introduced in there. Um, shortly before I learned about that, I cared for her ultrasound, saw that her baby had many anomalies, and that I did not expect this child to live after being born. Um, I was able to come to the point of, of learning that this woman was a follower of Jesus, and in, in the Lord's sovereignty, God worked it out that several months later, I coincidentally was on call when she and was able to be there when she delivered that child who died and then was able to share this book with her. So again, it kind of comes around in full circle of the Lord being with us and walking through valleys. His pursuit of us sometimes happens through these unrelated events 
that happen. The moon is always round, God is always good, and that goodness will always pursue us. The second thing that makes a valuable word is fear. Um, whatever, we, we got this fear that whatever is coming at me will destroy me. For me, a very recent fear was COVID. Uh, in spring of 2020, COVID came. We didn't know very much about it. Uh, there were, uh, as you guys uh, remember, um, trauma hospitals being set up in Central Park because the hospitals in New York City were, uh, were overwhelmed. I was pretty certain I was gonna get COVID. I was a, uh, during that time in April, I turned 60, so the statistics from 50 to 59-year-olds, all of a sudden, you know, one day in April, uh, my risk of death doubled um, <laughs> with that. Um, uh, I was pretty certain that was gonna, gonna happen. Um, I, early on in that COVID thing, I was in a, uh, looks like they're trying to give me a new microphone here. Um, I, was, I was getting ready to deliver a baby uh, the baby was premature, so there were, like I said, is that better? Sorry about that. Um, I was at, in, in a delivery with a preterm infant. There were 12 people in this small delivery room. I was certain I was going to get COVID. And I knew that at, 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 with having hypertension, and now that after my birthday anyway, I had a 4% risk of dying, um, I was certain it wasn't gonna be good. Um, I tend to excel, or try and excel at everything I was gonna do, and Debbie would point this out to me, I try to excel at everything I was gonna do. I'm gonna be in the top 4% of the ones who get sick and die um, from, from this uh, disease. I wasn't saying I will fear no evil. My focus was on the evil. My focus was on what it might do to me. My focus was on the fear that I felt. My focus certainly wasn't on the shepherd that was pursuing me. I need a shepherd who will pursue me because when I'm in a valley, my fears will overrun me. I need a shepherd who tells me, fear not, for I am with you because I don't necessarily feel in that way. Now, I don't deserve a shepherd like that, but I have one. We have a shepherd like that. And no, not even we have a shepherd like that. I have a shepherd like that. Jesus did not walk into the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus walked into death. He died on the cross so that we might have him with us. Um, he took my evil, he took my sin, he took my rejection of him, my running away from him. He took all of that. And then he rose. Because he lives and because he conquered death and evil, he can say, I am in that valley. You are in that valley. Fear no evil. I am with you. Um, Jesus conquered evil. It's still around to hound us. We still see it. But Jesus is coming again. When he comes again, we will be free. Um, it's also important to realize that Jesus leads us both beside still waters and into valleys. Um, Mike Gordon, many of you know, another prior pastor of our church, preached a sermon 
using the text from Luke 8, when our church was in a very difficult something had very something very had hard had happened to all of us. And Mike preaching on that, this is the passage where Jesus tells his disciples to get into a boat, we're going to go across the lake, and then Jesus promptly falls asleep. The storm comes, and the disciples feel overwhelmed with fear that they are going to die. Mike pointed out to us that Jesus called them into that. He told them to get into the boat. He knew the storm was coming. I might have appreciated, hey, there's a storm coming, let's wait until tomorrow morning. But Jesus called them into that storm. So Jesus calls us both beside still waters and into valleys. Fourth, he is a shepherd who gives us comfort. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Again, note the first person. David here is talking to God, not talking about God. A shepherd uses these instruments, these tools, to guide and protect his sheep, the rod to protect them, um, the staff to guide and to corral the sheep to where they need to go. Um, scripture and God's presence is, again, those things that God uses to, to guide us there. We're not saved by our obedience to Scripture, but it is the instruction he provides to give us. And even more wonderful, he also gives us the Holy Spirit. Not just his rod and his staff, but, but his Holy Spirit that lives within us, that guides us to, to know and to experience, to feel the shepherd. So we can take great hope in that. Jesus is a shepherd who generously wants to refresh and provide for me, to prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Described here are the, the blessings of a generous host. It's not merely the food of the, of the dinner, but it's the experience of the dinner. I think of a, a rehearsal dinner at a wedding, or a wedding feast at a, at a wedding. This is an event that is hosted by someone else, that if you are invited, you're invited because of the relationship that you have with the bride and groom. It's provided for you. And it's a joyous event, celebrating something beautiful, marriage, the bride and the groom. You get to partake in that, something that's apart from you, but you get to partake in this wonderful meal because of your relationship with this person. It's provided apart. Of course, the closest example of that's the Lord's Supper. Again, the Lord's Supper is something that is shared with the people of God. We're not supposed to have the Lord's Supper with a bagel and juice kind of at home. And, um, but no, it's a meal that we share together. The Lord's Supper is something that's earned by what Jesus has done for us, not on our own. It's a meal that is spiritually nourishing. Of course, it's a foreshadowing. So he's a, a shepherd who wants to refresh and provide for us. These things then lead to the conclusion. Jesus is a shepherd who bore the cross for me, who welcomed me into his heavenly home. Surely goodness, God is good, and mercy is the said love for us that always involves action. Shall follow me, shall pursue me, chase after me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. And that is based on a fact the Lord, pre-existing God of the universe, is my shepherd. My sure and certain hope rests not in my environment, whether my environment is a green pasture or still waters, but 
know, my sure and certain hope rests in my shepherd. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are our shepherd. And I pray that you would open our eyes through your spirit to behold you in your beauty, to know and to believe that you are good, to know and to believe that you are with us when we face the various trials that we face. Lord, help us to behold you. Help us to know the hope to which you have called us and to know that it is a certain hope because you are our shepherd. Let's stand and sing together. On Jordan stormy, the banks I stand and cast a wishful eye. Fair and- 